You're listening to KJ Recaps. Hey there, you are back with KJ Recaps. I am Jess. I am Kim. Hi, Kim. Happy Halloween. Yes, same to you. Thank you. Did we you are... get any good costumes? No, well, a couple. We had some pirates. Uh, one had a parrot on his shoulder. I thought that was kind of cute. But uh, I don't know. I feel like so old these days where I'm like, I have no idea what the kids are. <laughs> <laughs> my friend, my friend Jen has a, a little guy who's seven. And um, his number one pick that he wanted to be was a pickle. Um, <laughs> and Jen could not find a pickle costume. So his backup choice was a bottle of hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Really into condiments, this kid is. I know, loving, loving the the, the condiments, the little <laughs> uh, side dishes. Yeah, I know, I loved it. Um, I feel like if you like got a banana costume and put some bumps on it and painted it green, that that would make a good pickle costume. And that is actually pretty smart. Except then you would have the challenge of finding a banana costume. I say it only because there was a parent <laughs> trick or treating in a banana costume tonight. <laughs> That is amazing. Really amazing. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So with that diversion, we are here recapping Westworld season one, episode five, also known as the most crazy episode of TV of all time. This, Um, it blew up my brain. And then the conversation (laughs) that we had immediately following it, it was like, I have so much to think about right now. Yeah. I really think that we are barely going to be able to scratch the surface in terms of theories. So if anybody out there has uh, additional theories that you want Jess and I to incorporate after hearing this podcast, if we missed anything, then please let us know because uh, I I think there's plenty of opportunity for us to have missed some big stuff just because there was so much in this episode. Completely. Um, And I found I did try and go back to past episodes to look for specific scenes. But uh, I at this point think it could be your full time job to try and uncover, you know, what Westworld is really trying to do. So um, I know. Yes, we will do our best. We I did have a lot of fun uh, live tweeting from our Twitter handle at KJ Recaps. Um, on Sunday night, we watch it in Eastern Time on HBO. So if you are watching it live, it is a lot of fun to follow the hashtag just because everybody's, I mean, there's so much to react to and everybody's reacting at the same time to everything. So that was a really interesting way to kind of see what other people are saying about it. Um, but it's just like, I don't know, it's hard to wrap your mind around for sure. Yeah, definitely. I feel like there's layers upon layers in this show yes. to unpack. And we're only um, halfway through, so there's still know. a lot to go. I know. Um, okay, so a couple of housekeeping items. Um, just just a few things uh, in the errors and omissions category <laughs> that, that I'm introducing here. This, this will, will be not a new be the last time. <laughs> half hour segment to stop the start up the top of we're gonna do show. a we're gonna do a follow up show like three <laughs> days later. That's just like here's what we got wrong. That's um, okay, so the the first is that. Um, one quick IMDb search told us that the guy we have been referring to as William's douchey friend is in fact Logan. 
Um, also in this episode, for the first time, we did actually have someone call him by name. Exactly. Um, and I like, I'm hesitant to use, I mean, I use IMDb religiously, but it's like, unless you've seen them say it, I don't know. I like, it was the first time I feel like I've really seen William say Logan something, something. Yes. Um, but it is easier to differentiate the characters when we know their names. So I don't know. Even I if... thought Dushrek was pretty understandable. <laughs> I mean, I feel like everyone definitely knew who we were referring to. Um, although in this episode, when I was taking notes, I was referring to them like as Butcher One and Butcher Two. So yes. I did like I did look up their names as well, just because it's easier. Um, on a quick side note, the names of the two butchers are Felix and Sylvester. So a real cat theme yeah both cats for sure and you get felix's at the end of the episode but you never get sylvester that's right yeah. right um okay and so a bird on thing the... definitely uh i know yeah <laughs> um and then uh snake lady is armistice armistice or armistice yeah armistice uh okay also when we had suggested that rebus who was like the milk bandit who was um about to rape dolores before she breaks away and you know meets up with william and logan uh we had suggested that when he said there's no one to interrupt us this time that that might have been an indication that he was remembering a past story like narrative um but Upon further reflection, we realized that earlier in that same ep- same episode when Rebus like was accosting Dolores in town, they were interrupted by Teddy. So that very well could have been that. Agreed. And Instead since we haven't it- seen that come back, very well caught Kim. Absolutely. Uh, and then a shout out. Last one, I swear. Uh, a <laughs> shout out to um, at Ratman Returns on Twitter who pointed out that um, Ford was actually using some kind of hand gesture in order to stop the hosts in their tracks in his meeting with Cullen in the last episode when they were at that like Mexican restaurant type deal. Uh, and that makes perfect sense, of course, because we saw him make a hand gesture when he was controlling the snake in an earlier episode when he went on his walkabout with Minnie Ford, who I did Question not look mark? up the name yep. of, by the way. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then we also see more of that in this episode. So thank you at Ratman Returns um, for pointing that out. Absolutely. And again, if... If you guys have uh, suggestions or feedback or things that we have missed, feel free to tweet at us at KJ Recaps. Um, or also we have a feedback uh, section on our website at KJRecaps.com where you can get in touch with us that way as well. Absolutely. We would love to read your questions and theories out. And uh, this is definitely a community of learning. So the more the merrier <laughs> in terms of what the hell is going on. So uh Excellent errors and omissions to begin episode five, Kim. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> there will be more. I'm sorry. I feel like we should have like theme music that's like really silly to like intro and outro from that. <laughs> it should be like the SNL. Um, oh like, my Fox god! News segment. Absolutely. Here's <laughs> what we got wrong. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Uh, absolutely. Okay, okay, so without further ado, because I'm sure this will just be a brief recap, uh, why don't we get into talking about the episode scene by scene 
because uh, it's a doozy. So we open with our good friend, Old Bill, back again. Let's drink to back the lady again. with the white shoes. Yeah. Um, and we have Ford talking to him again. And maybe I'll just say this off the top that I think the biggest thing for me eye opening in this episode is just how completely fucked up the timelines are. Um, and now I trust nothing in terms right. of timelines. So I'm even rewatching this scene again. I'm like, is this still from the first time we ever saw this? Is this something he does all the time? Who the hell knows? Like, I'm not even looking to solve that one, but like that's to the level of which I now suspect everything that I see and we can talk yes. about it more. But, um, so he is talking to old Bill and he tells him a story and he mentions his brother. Is this the first time question mark that we've heard about the brother? I think it is. Um, yeah. It's the first time that I've noticed it anyway, yeah. which of course then resulted in me texting Jess throughout the episode. You're like, is the man in Blackford's brother? <laughs> wait, no. Is like William? I mean, I just had all. Oh, wait, no. I said, is Minnie Ford actually um, not brother. a Minnie Ford, but a Minnie Ford brother? Yeah. I mean, all the theories came out. All the theories. I just, yeah, threw everything out. Um, um, so, yes, yeah. I think it's the, the first time <laughs> the brother has been mentioned. mentioned. So he's talking about that they really wanted a dog and their dad got them a rescue greyhound, warned them never to let the dog off leash, but they couldn't help themselves. And so one day they took it to the park and they let it off leash and he describes the beauty in seeing it really get to run, you know, as an old dog because it's chasing after a cat, but of course it catches the cat and really horrifies everyone when it rips the cat to pieces. Um, and then how it's very confused to have finally caught it. Like obviously it was a racing animal that never got to ever catch the thing it was chasing. So, um, you know, it's, then he says it spent its whole life chasing that thing. And now it has no idea what to do. Um, and old Bill says, his same kind of three lines that he always says and we move on. So do you, th I, I think that this was Ford um, speaking about himself. Do you think? Yeah. Like the idea that you'd spend your whole life and he's created this world and now question mark. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And he's definitely a big metaphor to open up this crazy episode. And I, I agree. Yeah, I don't really necessarily know what he's trying to say right now. Yeah. But I do think that this was, I think that maybe he goes downstairs to talk to Bill when he's being really reflective of like what he's done with his life and where, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, what was he talking about the first time that he was um, downstairs talking to Bill? Oh, my God. I don't remember exactly, except that I remember that Bernard made that comment about, wow, isn't it amazing how far we've come from Bill? And I remember that Ford was really disenchanted by that. And he was like, yeah, something like that. Um, so I don't know. I, I definitely think that this there was more meaning to this story than just an anecdote about a, his dog when he was younger. And I think that it does have to do with how he feels about where he is with his life's work right now. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, in the next episode, uh, sorry, in the next scene, Dolores is standing in a graveyard alone. This is definitely like a full uh, wide shot of her in this graveyard with no one around her. 
So she closes her eyes. We hear that same whispering that she heard before when um, she had heard Arnold's voice and then Arnold saying, find me. So we see more of the same flashes of the white church and she's at another graveyard, similar to the flashes that we'd seen before. And she says to Arnold, show me how. So when she opens her eyes, she's still in that same original graveyard, but now right next to her are all of the horses and William and Slim and Logan. So, I mean, I know that we'll get more into timeline as we talk, but there's a couple of times in this episode where we see Dolores with William and company, and then we see immediately afterwards that she's there alone. So... Is this two separate timelines that we are looking at? I can't figure that out. Like, I I don't get how she's gone through all of this twice. Like, I feel like that theory made sense when it was on the homestead, you know, and it was a scene that was built into her loop. I find mm-hmm. it less plausible or I'm I'm gravitating to it less... Now that she's so far off of her beaten path um, and she's there because of William in many ways. So I, I right. don't know. What about you? I don't know. I mean, I was just about to say, well, it can't be because in the last episode, we saw that there was a tech who came up to Stubbs and said that Dolores was off her loop. And he said, is she accompanying a guest? And the text says, it's unclear. So I was just about to say, no, it has to be all the same timeline because they know that she's accompanying a guest. But they never actually said, yes, she's with someone. They just said that it was unclear. So is it possible that that she has done all of this at one point with William and is retracing her steps a second time? Yeah, maybe that's a really fair point. I mean, I don't know, but there was twice in this episode, probably more than that, but like once in this one where it was very clear that she was alone and then she was not in, you know, the very next moment. And then in one of the last scenes when she is aboard the train, she was, yeah, yeah, she was there in, in the... Uh, train car with both Lawrence and William and then in the next moment she's there by herself um, so I I think there that's the only explanation that I can think of is that unless all of this is like a, unless William and Lawrence are a figment of her imagination like I think that it has to be two separate storylines you're two separate um, timelines yeah so if if William is the man in black Okay, wow, you just really jumped threw, right into it. You jumped yeah. right into that theory for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so this is like one of the big things that was talked about on Twitter that night. I mean, I think it's becoming like a very commonly known theory by Westworld watchers for sure. And I think watching this one and realizing how messed up the timelines really are and it doesn't make sense. I mean, we're getting to the point where you can't keep introducing new characters. So some of the characters we know have to be the same characters, you know, like there's got to be right. implications Which to, to that. Which 
to your point when you asked in the last episode, like you said, Elazo has to be someone we've already met. And right. it was. It was Lawrence. Um, so <laughs> a really fair point on your end. Um, Lawrence, the baddest motherfucker in Westworld. That's right. Exactly. Really? <laughs> in certain cases. I know. I think yeah. I tweeted that. I was like, well, this explains why they treat him as such an outlaw. Because he does a really good job when William meets him of being, like, pretty terrifying. Like, I thought yeah. he was a great outlaw there. It's like a completely different guy when he's not being led around by a noose behind a horse. <laughs> Shockingly. For sure. Um, yeah. So diving right into the theory that we are seeing both storylines and I still think they're problematic, but that they're 30 years apart-ish, 25. So um, if, the, if that is the case, so if we are working on the theory that William is in fact the man in black, and what we are seeing is both a storyline from 35 years ago or 30 years ago, and also a storyline that's happening now. So if that were the case, then could Dolores have done this you know, journey with William and Logan 30 years ago and now is doing it again in present day. Yeah, like whatever is going to play out with her version on the train with Lawrence and William is going to play out in a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then even the way Ford says like she had the opportunity to leave out her loop and she didn't, you know, and he's going to interview her in a couple of scenes. Um, and he says, you know, she just kind of stuck to her loop. So then she goes for X number more years, reliving the same day, whatever, doing her little thing with Teddy. And then something prompts the remembrance. Right. And then, Arnold is like prompting her to go back to where he tried to send her 25 years ago that somehow it doesn't take. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like whatever he's trying to do, it's like he's trying to introduce her to the maze and it doesn't work this first time around. But the second time when she goes and retraces her step and the same people are not necessarily there, but like she's remembering because it. M- maybe it didn't work because he died before she could complete whatever he wanted her to. Right. Arnold died. Do you think we've met Arnold in real person? Um, no. Do you? I don't know. Like I, <laughs> I know, right? It's um, it's so much to it's so much to even take in. Yeah, uh, we're about like forty five seconds into the show. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, right. um, but it's impossible not to kind of think big picture so like okay so um arnold died 35 years ago yeah and the man in black said that he started coming to the park 30 years ago so we know that if, even if william is the man in black it would have been about five years since arnold died right so, and um and it's mentioned, right? That like when he when it's mentioned that the park is in dire financial straits. Yes. Um, but look like the, that that there's a mysterious death and no one knows what the hell happened. So But does he reference it being a lot further ago? Who? Logan? No. I don't think that he says anything that indicates the timeline. Timeline? Okay. No. Um, okay, so 
still in um, the the graveyard where Dolores is by herself and then not. She's back with the rest of the, the group and they're overlooking the town of Pariah. So this is where Slim is taking them to meet El Lazo, which we know now, of course, is Lawrence. Um, and so William asks Dolores if she's okay. She said yes, but asks if she does if she had done something wrong. And he says that he thought that he heard her talking to someone. So this is obviously her talking to Arnold, I would think. Um, and then when they get to the town, it is rowdy and <laughs> kinky and everybody's having sex in the streets. Um, so Logan is happy as a pig in shit. He's like, this is... This is amazing. This is so different from the market-tested town that's at the center of the park. So he's loving being on the outskirts. Um, So this is where he says it doesn't come cheap, though, that he says that the park is in financial, um, like, dire straits and that his company is considering buying them out. Um, Which is telling, I think, right? Because I think this would definitely be um, some evidence in the case for this being uh, in the past. Right. Because it doesn't sound like that's the case now. No, I mean, I mean, I'm probably grasping at straws a little bit here, but nobody seems to have any issue with finances. I mean, like Ford is dismantling half the park for this enormous new storyline that he's putting up. And, um, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to be anything that they've talked about, at least at this point. Yeah, I agree. Um, So, and then this is where Logan talks to about the fact that like rumor has it that the park was part was built by a partnership, but that one of the partners killed himself and that it sent the park into a tailspin and that um, he couldn't find anything on the partner itself himself. Um, And I think that this is another piece of evidence, right? Because, uh, although I know that we can't trust everything about Bernard, Bernard did have that conversation with Ford where Ford told him for the first time about the partner, Arnold, and Bernard had no idea. And Bernard has been working at the park for, I don't know, decades, right? Like more than 20 years, I think. Yeah, but isn't like, don't you find that more suspicious now? Like, now I don't trust the fact that the only people, the only, like, Logan says there's no pictures of this guy, and nobody really knows what the hell happened. And now the only way that we have seen a picture of this guy is in a room with Ford and Bernard. And now I don't trust that. Like, no one else is talking about it or mentioning it. And this is why I wonder if what we've seen in that photograph is real or reliable, I guess, is what I mean. I think that's really fair. And so whether or not Ford is telling the truth about who his partner was and the circumstances of the partnership, I think is definitely up for discussion. Yeah. But like to your point, no one is talking about it. And yet Logan, this guy who's not affiliated with the park whatsoever, except as a potential investor, um, he knows this rumor that um, the park was founded by a partnership and that the partner killed himself that makes me feel like you know in bernard's time when he's having this conversation with ford so much time has passed that um nobody is talking about it or thinking about it or knows about it anymore but um 
I'm just making the case that potentially Logan and William are in a timeline that was close enough to that having happened that there are still rumors circulating despite the fact there's no evidence of Arnold's existence. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it does help back it up more than it does. Like, I don't think it tears it down. No, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they see the Confederados. Uh, so these are ex-Confederate soldiers now working as missionaries. And so Logan is really looking for uh, an introduction to these guys because he thinks that they are the key to the game, which is um, that he believes there is a war raging at the like far edges of the park that he's never been to. And he thinks that that is like the pinnacle of the game. Of course he does. <laughs> Very Logan. Yes. Yeah. You're still a douche, Logan. Yeah, even though right. you have a name now. Exactly. Uh so then we are back with the man in black and we know that he found Teddy at the end of the last episode. So he's got um Teddy and Lawrence and he's got Teddy over a horse. And he's talking about getting Teddy to lead him to Wyatt and Lawrence points out that that may not work because Teddy is in rough shape. Um, he looks like shit. So, um, like they... who knew that James Marsden could even look that shitty? Some impressive makeup when they like, they first <laughs> stop here and his like eyes are, yeah, he is not looking good. No. Um, and so the man in black asks Lawrence if he's got any ideas why, um, he's kept him around this whole journey. Uh, Lawrence says, you think you just like my company and man in black says, maybe he does. Um, and that there's not a man alive who would speak to him in the tone that Lawrence does. And except for maybe in a past life. So I really liked that little sentence. We can talk about that for sure. Um, and then that little mini Ford kid shows up mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. asks if they're lost, which the men in black sends to go get water. But of course they have water. And the reason he does is because it's not good news for Lawrence. No, uh, it is not. No. So I didn't figure this one out right away. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, why did he just do that? But it turns out he takes all of Lawrence's blood and gives it to Teddy so that he can keep Teddy alive. And his decision is to that Teddy is the one who's going to get him to Wyatt, which is where he's really trying to go. So at the sacrifice of Lawrence. So right. what did you, yeah, anything specific? Like I really cottoned on to that line of how people talk I to agree. him. I agree, okay. So this is this is really funny actually that I was um, taking notes and as I take notes, I sort of pause um, in between to catch up with my typing and if there's something specific that I want to write down. So this was actually hilarious that um, uh, when the man in black says that no man alive would speak to him in the tone that Lawrence does, I hit pause and I did my typing. And then I texted you, Jess, and I was like, what if the man in black is actually Logan? Because I felt like that line was more fitting to Logan's character and who he is than right. it is William. And then I hit play and he said the last piece, which was maybe in a past life. And then I texted <laughs> you back and I was like, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> right, because it's like, this is where you see that little glimpse of like, in a past life, people could, and we see how Logan talks to William later in this episode, incredibly disrespectfully, um, really belittling his kind yeah. of whole world point of view. And then, of course, we saw in the previous episode with the guys who want to, you know, talk to the man in black about how he 
saved his sister's life with his foundation. I mean, there's definitely like a super complicated thing happening here in terms of who this guy is. I agree. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I think that that is another um, point in the favor of the man in black potentially being William. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think there would be any point in a past life where Logan felt that, um, you know, someone would speak to him that way. Yeah. Uh, I think that he's definitely yeah. pointing to His the fact that he is, been... he is not the man that he used to be. Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing that I thought of, too, is that he, the other thing he says right before he kills Lawrence is he says, I guess I'll see you on the other side. So um, I have a friend, Joe, who's a listener, and she texted me after the last one uh, that we recorded. And she said she feels like the man in black is like the quest for the maze is a quest to end his own life, too, or to like to die. Um, and yeah. I did feel there was more fatalistic discussion in this episode even than there was in past ones. Um, I agree. I did at one point. Um, I can't remember what the line was that made me think of this. Uh, it wasn't this one. I'll probably remember it when we come to it in the scene by scene. But um, where I thought that the quest for the maze was potentially to just blow the whole park up. Right. You know, that I that that potentially when he says he's going to set the hosts free, that he was just going to burn this shit to the ground because he is disgusted by the whole twisted game that it is but I don't know that I actually think that that's true there was one you know moment where I thought that it was looking like a possibility but um the more I thought about it the more I thought that uh all of his talk about finding truth and finding deeper meaning at the center of the maze has to be more than just to destroy it all right yeah i'm i um i don't know there is there's something though about the fact how he keeps talking about i mean it's kind of there seems to be a lot of kind of final goodbyes to the hosts which i think indicates how close he feels he is to figuring out the maze you know like Mm -hmm. Um, cause really, I mean, he even mentioned someone's going to come by and clean up Lawrence in a little bit, you know, don't worry about it kind of thing. But yeah. I feel like he doesn't necessarily think he's going to see Lawrence again. Um, but what is the reason for that? I'm not sure. That's fair. So now if we just like pause here for a quick second, so we know that in this timeline, if there are in fact more than one in this timeline, Lawrence is dead. So does the fact that in the very near future, we see Lawrence as a lazo in pariah with William and Logan, does that help or hurt the theory that we are having this take place in two very different timelines? Yeah, I saw, you know, I think there's people who are like, well, show it backs up the fact that there's definitely two timelines. But watching it again, it is a whole overnight if, if it were linear, if it is all one continuous timeline and not different ones, um, mm-hmm. they do go through a night scene. And it's not inconceivable right. to me whatsoever that you would get Lawrence cleaned up and he would go right back. And he was Il Lazo, even when the men in black had him, which is why the prison said this is the most dangerous man we could possibly have under our roof kind of thing. And they go out and try and shoot yes. him, which is why the men in black saved him from being hung in the first place. Like it all it didn't strike me as incredibly problematic in a continual timeline fair so yeah 
Uh, I did it for, like, at first I was, like, thinking back. I was like, oh, man. But now I'm, like, watching it again. Nighttime. We know how quickly they turn those bodies over. That's true. They turned over Maeve, like, three times in this one episode. (laughs) Just leave her lying on a gurney in their office. Oh, God. Yeah. Um... So speaking of which, we're in the butcher shop with yeah. uh, with the same two guys who uh, had the encounter with Maeve last time where she wakes up and Sylvester acclu- accuses Felix of not having put her in sleep mode. And they're still talking about that. Um, so Felix is a little freaked out by the fact that Maeve is the one on the uh, on the gurney. Uh, so they're working on Maeve and uh, they do make a quick comment about, so she has obviously just come to the butcher shop, uh, which is, I think, I think what it's called, which is terrible. Um, right after the shootout where she is kissing Hector and the two yeah. of them have just dug the bullet out of her abdomen and then the the door gets shot up by the sheriff and his men. So she, she um, has that knife wound in her abdomen that they are fixing up amongst her other wounds. So I think it has happened right after that because Felix does make mention of the fact that it looks like it was an incision where they were looking for something in her abdomen um so it's break time and sylvester leaves the room uh felix kind of looks around suspiciously and then puts a tablet in his locker where there's a bird fly um like it's just lying lifeless in his locker so we know now of course that that tablet was in fact a behavior tablet like elsie you know or bernard would use uh when they're doing behavior modifications and analysis on the hosts um so we'll see in later scenes that he's using this to try to learn or teach himself how to, like, animate or operate yes. a host. Um, so just a really quick scene there. Yeah. Uh, and then we're back with the man in black and Teddy has woken up. The blood <laughs> in the woods blood transfusion worked. Um, and the man in black then gives a kind of story about how when he first started coming to the park, he opened a host up once and they were in a million perfect pieces and now they've changed them to flesh and bone and that, you know, the park will tell you it's to improve the hosts, but really it's cheaper. Um, and that like their humanity is cheaper. So I think there's something really interesting there. Um, Teddy asks for the man in black to kill him. The man in black motivates him by kind of tagging on to the Wyatt story that they've taken Dolores, knowing it's not true, but he, you know, says it's the magic word. And of course, Teddy reacts right away and they, um, he gets up. So Minnie Ford brings back the water and this is where the man in black, I already mentioned this, but says not to worry about Lawrence's body because they'll come get him soon. So what did Mm -hmm. you think of the discussion of like what they were like when he first started coming and what they're like now? I thought it was interesting. It definitely answered a question that we had a couple of episodes ago, which was that what exactly are they made of? Is this like living tissue that they are, um, that they're made of, not just sort of a mechanical shell that's covered in human tissue a la Terminator? Um, like, I think that we, we knew, we knew that it was like this really complex layering process of like building out the entire human anatomy, um, just like strand by strand. We, we see it in the opening credits and stuff, but, um, we do have concrete evidence now that they are living 
flesh, which is crazy to me. So ultimately then I'm curious about the fact, like purely based on anatomy, what, what is the difference between them and a person? Yeah. There has, there has to be some kind of hardware for their programming and, and software and that sort of thing within them. But for all intents and purposes, it sounds as if they are built very much like a human. Like yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and the other question I have is, like, where does an early prototype like Old Bill fit into the timeline here? Like, if we really are 30 years ago with William, how are the mm-hmm. hosts so good? I mean, the park is only... Like, is old Bill so old that it's before there was a park? And he really is, like, an original version of what Arnold and Ford were building? Um, Yeah. Because he's so noticeably animatronic, right? That's part of his thing. And they talk about how they got them better. But if that's the case, there's no difference in what they look like, at least not that I can perceive, in the William storyline to what they look like now. Yeah, I mean, that is a really fair point. I think that that is a point on the opposite end. Agreed. That, it, that um, it's not the, 30 years ago. Right. And we so we do know that Dolores has been in the park. She is the oldest host in the park. She's been in the park for over 30 years. Uh, so if that is the case and she has not changed, then that, you know, might be evidence of the fact that it is possible that these mm-hmm. hosts are... Um, that good even 30 years ago yeah um but it is a stark contrast between old bill and i do think that it's interesting that the man in black talks about the differences between when he first started coming and now um and if william is the man in black the the park wouldn't have even been open for that long before he started coming so yeah um it would have been huge advancements made in the first 10 years of it being around and then no further advancements that are perceivable at least for the last 30 years so one thing i did go back and rewatch the scene where william and logan get off the train when they first come in Mm -hmm. um and there's the scene at the where he's talking to the host you know the one that he's not sure if she's a host or not like the blonde girl who like welcomes him to Westworld and they get to the top of the escalator and there's a big vista and it's a screen um and there is a Westworld logo and it's not the same one that we know interesting Um, yeah it's not the one that's in like the credits it's not the one that's in the kind of behind the scenes it's it's still Westworld but the W is different like it's a noticeably different logo um but other than that, everything looks hyper modern. Like I was trying to be like, is there something that gives it away in this toast that she is not as, but I mean, she's just as slick. He can't tell the difference between her and a human either. You know, it's just like everything is incredibly finessed, but yeah. Yeah. Interesting. No, so don't. we don't know the answer, of course, but I do think that this is kind of like one point in the Man in Black is not William Camp. Right. But there is a reason you do not know the Man in Black's name. You know, like, there is no point to make him the Man in Black if it's not somebody you've already met. 
I vote Elsie. <laughs> Let's start a completely new theory. That's right. The pen in black is actually Elsie 30 years from now. <laughs> we're just we're just throwing it out there. Guys, All... if that's the case, I quit my job and we'll do this for a living. <laughs> like, that's just... You cracked it. That's right. Um, so okay. someone in HBO was like, what? How did you figure it's that like... out? There's this one, one girl in Canada who found, <laughs> she cracked our All code. All of the clues, yeah. That's right. Um, okay, so Dolores is in Pariah, this crazy, kinky town. Um, she's staring at a dead body and then has these flashes of the village with the white church. There's, like, women being gunned down in the street. Um, okay, so... Let me think about my question. <laughs> okay. Do you feel that these flashes that Dolores are is having, are these memories of things that have happened in the past? Yeah. I can't figure out these flashes. I don't know. I, like, it must be, but um, I, yeah. I, otherwise, I think- what is she seeing? Like, I mean, how else would she have them? Yeah, I agree. But she's having like visions and stuff too of oh, her I know. of herself. Why does she keep seeing herself? I know. I think that that is, I think that that is, uh, you know, visual embodiment of her consciousness. Like, like, like it's okay. like a her becoming sentient and like talking back to herself. Kind of. Um, Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, you know how I said in the last episode that I thought that these whispers that she was hearing was potentially the, um, you know, her own thoughts that are sort of taking over for Arnold. Well, I mean, Arnold is still very much there. So I don't know that there is any sense to this theory whatsoever, but the only sense that I could make um, of a potential reason why she would be seeing herself and talking to herself is that she is in fact like literally talking to herself, but this is just like a visual manifestation of, of that. her very new thoughts, right. you know, of yeah. her having her own thoughts. Um, I, like I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So I was, I was throwing it out there. I, I also think that these flashes have to be a memory from like a past storyline or something that's happened in the past. Um, but like which past, I don't know if there's two timelines, my brain's going to blow. I know. It's just like... <laughs> <laughs> um, so she sees these flashes, white church, um, women being gunned down in the streets, probably not just women. I just noticed yeah, uh, women, I but I assume it was just, you know, villagers. Uh, Dolores is talking to William. She wonders if perhaps there's many paths, like choices that you could change, that you could take to change your life. She's she's really kind of elaborating on this, like there's a path for everyone. And so this is the second episode in a row where we're hearing her um, take this scripted line and elaborate it and build upon it with her own seemingly new and unique thoughts. Um so William talks about how maybe that's why people come to the park. It's to change their lives and there's no rules or restrictions and people in the real world won't even know what they're doing there. And so Dolores catches the yeah. fact that he said real world and um, she's not supposed to notice those types of things. She is supposed to be 
confused yet unconcerned. Yeah. Um, but that's not the case anymore. She does pick up on that and asks what he means by it. Um, and then we have a little moment between William and Dolores where they sort of graze hands. <laughs> so if the man in black is William... How do you think that his treatment of Dolores in present day yeah. would would be a reflection of his past with her? Yeah, well, I think if William is the man in black, some sort of crazy shit is going to go down. I mean, that is a dramatic... I mean, we see part of it happen here, but it's still in defense of her, right? Like, he shoots an unarmed man in the back in this yes. episode, which is a dramatic character character departure and he leaves logan like maybe not undeservedly but he still does and i don't think he would have done that before but you're right i mean everything is still like i don't know is it that he's just over 30 years become obsessed and completely changed from white hat to black hat and it's like that's the full coming around um because otherwise it is very hard to conceive of for sure I I still think, though, I think that Men in Black is White Hat and Black Hat's clothing. Interesting. I do. I really think that he is playing the villain. He says that he's invented this character to play the villain, but that ultimately Mm -hmm. his goals are not sinister. And I think that perhaps over the course like maybe over the course of the last 30 years living in the park he's learned some hard lessons and become really disenchanted maybe with what the park is and what it you know represents although he was never super enchanted by it but he was enchanted by Dolores so I was thinking that you know he might have developed real feelings for her this might have evolved into something where he almost forgets that she isn't real particularly because she's behaving in a way that is so much more real than the other hosts are (laughs) yeah agreed so i was thinking that if there is something to this theory that they are the same person that there has to have been something that um really um opened his eyes in a way that was hard for him to take to the fact that Dolores is not real. She does not have real feelings for him. And, you know, that might be a reason why he treats her the way he does in present day. And if that is the timeline, in fact, then she is having these really vivid thoughts and conversations with William where she is recognizing that things are not as they seem because she's even saying those things to him. And if this is that timeline, she's going to go back to her loop for which 25 more years which makes perfect sense because when ford is talking to dolores in a later scene when it's actually it's the next scene right so we'll (laughs) talk let's like let's let's get to that one because i i feel like there are a number of things that he says that would back up that theory Um, agreed yeah so just to finish this one off so uh Slim comes and tells Logus, Logan and William that El Lazo has agreed to meet them the next day. In the meantime, they can go to a brothel. William doesn't want to, though, because he's like, I don't think Dolores would like that too much. And, can um, we just say, like, not just any brothel either. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, seriously. like Pariah is quite the place. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So Logan is annoyed with William by this too, because he's like, she's a doll. Like, I don't give a shit what she thinks. But William really thinks, you know, that, that she can really understand them. Um, so then, uh, we already talked a little bit about the fact that Dolores sees herself. So there's a parade. Dolores sees herself walking in the parade and then she enters the crowd to try to catch up with herself, but kind of gets turned around and we hear two voices. The first is a woman's voice. And then we hear Ford say the rest in a dreamless slumber that you know, shuts the hosts down. So I am not entirely clear whether the woman's voice that we hear is in Dolores's head or if it's just sort of background noise, but I had to watch it with the closed captioning on to see that she said, uh, our dead are never dead to us until you have forgotten them. Um, so I know that... The and they're in like a Day of the Dead... Day of the Dead, right. ...style parade. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So I didn't know if that meant anything. Um, the fact that it was said audibly enough for the closed captioning to pick it up, despite the fact that there's a lot of background noise and chatter... Yes. ...that was not really audible. Um, but anyway, so... And I did not hear it until the first time I watched without, the second time I watched it with, I did not pick it up until the second time. Right. Um, so... Yeah, so I don't know if that actually means anything, but that's what she says. And then Ford's voice says, rest in a dreamless slumber. And uh, we see Dolores, you know, close her eyes and everything goes back black. It's unclear to me, though, whether, um, I mean, would she would she just be like dropping in the middle of the parade, yeah. in the middle of the village? Like, I'm inclined to think no. So I don't think that that is a sequential thing i don't know though like i mean he's got such control if she's in the middle of a parade of the dead of mostly hosts and if in this case it's like current dolores following past dolores right um so she's not with people this time because i was kind of like well where would william think she went but if it's the one that's traveling without anybody because she's retracing her steps then i do think that they could get her down to an interview pretty quickly Fair enough. But then, if that is the case, would Ford put her back in Pariah or put her back in her loop where she would then have to. I don't know. This is the same Ford again. who, near the end, puts Teddy back into the Man in Black storyline all rejuvenated. You know, like Teddy is waning hard at the end there, and then Ford gives him all his energy back and sends him on his way. Like, it's like he's, like, encouraging this story while at the same point not. Right. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, Ford seems to be kind of okay with letting it just play out the way it's going to play out. I know. Which is interesting. Why? I don't yeah, exactly. know. Okay, okay so, so now we're at the point. is with her. So however that happened, exactly. And I think you could... I totally see where you're coming from, Kim, so... Again, listeners, if you have feedback, please let us know what you think. Um, but he is, he asks her, so notably, she's naked. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, all of the interviews before I've been with Bernard where she is clothed, question mark. Uh, so she, he asks her if she knows where she is. She says she's in a dream um, and she's in his dream. And he asks if she knows what the dream means. She says dreams don't mean anything 
And he says that's wrong because they mean everything. They're the stories we tell ourselves of what we could be um, and who we could become. And so then he asks if she's been dreaming again, imagining herself breaking out of her loop and taking on a bigger role. So this is um, the this it's the fa- it's the use of the word again that yeah agreed yeah that I think is. Um, you know, sort of poignant in terms of what we were just talking about, which is that it appears by that statement that this is not the first time that Dolores has essentially gone rogue outside of her loop. And so conceivably with our dual timeline theory that she could have um, been outside of her loop in the past, then gone back to her modest little loop for many years and is now going rogue again because of the updates that started this whole thing um so ford says that his father told him to be satisfied with his lot in life um and the world owed him nothing so he made his own world so what do you think that that is a reference to oh interesting well i didn't think as much about that line did you like well, the only thing that I thought is that he's talking about Dolores being content in her little loop and right. um, asking whether she's imagining something grander for herself. And if, you know, you know, something where she is more the central character and whether she would be the hero or the villain, if she could be this more prominent character or whatever. And so I, I was thinking that this line is essentially his father telling him that he should just accept what he's been given, accept his lot in life. And he did not accept it. He created his own world where he could be essentially a God, like God. Yeah. 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 Um, so if, uh, I, th- I do think that there's some parallels there that Dolores is essentially Ford being told to be content in your little loop, but she did not take the lot she was given. She's broken right. out and is imagining something grander for herself. So, I mean, I don't know what it means. I'm just pointing out that I think that there's parallels there. Yeah. I think it's an interesting point. I mean, we're about to get to it, but it's like what, what who is Dolores to Ford too? Mm-hmm. Right, so he asks her if she remembers the man he used to be, and, and she what says does she's forgetful. That mean? Well, yeah. So, um, and then he asks if she remembers Arnold, and she says she can't recall anyone by that name. Um, and that beneath he says all beneath. So he grabs her by the hand during this at some point, and he's examining her wrist, um, and her hand. And I felt like that is related to what Elsie's discovery is later in this episode as well. Mm -hmm. Like he's rubbing her arm in that same kind of place where we keep seeing that indicator that there's something literally buried in them. Um, And he's getting frustrated by the fact that she's like, nope, don't remember Arnold, basically. Um, And that he says, like, even with all of her updates, he's still there. Um, and that even death can't touch the flowers blooming in her mind. Is Arnold speaking to you again? No. And then he's getting frustrated. So they're like, he's gripping her hand quite substantially. Um, and she says he's hurting her. And that's when he switches out of the conversational mode and he asks for analysis, which we've seen a number of times, which I just want to make a quick side note on the acting 
especially of the people playing hosts. Evan mm-hmm. Rachel Wood is unbelievable here. Like, no. Every time they switch into that, it's just a subtle look off to the side, but they are so perfectly just not quite human. Yes. You know, like it's incredibly well done. So, um, when was your last contact with Arnold? And she lists down to the hours the last time Arnold was live um, and that she's had no contact with him since. So, maybe pause there. Like, or do you want me to keep going and we're going to see that she says, I didn't tell him. Like, it's just so crazy. Yes. This part. Um, yeah, I don't think that there's too much left that we haven't already mentioned because we did talk about would she be yeah. a villain or a hero if she played um, a larger role. So then the only other thing that I think he says before he leaves her alone and she says I didn't tell him was um, she's the only one who was there. She's the only one who understands as Ford does. I assume that he's talking about back at the creation of the park and the death of Arnold, etc. She's the old, she's the oldest host in the park. She's the only one left. I think who like bears witness. Yeah, and he says that the and I guess too that the last thing Arnold said to her was that she was going to help him destroy this place. Oh right. So there's there's that piece too, and then yes, um, and were they old friends? No, Ford wouldn't say friends. In, obviously extremely emotional in this scene, right? We get a, like, crying forward as he's kind of answering that last question. I don't know. I feel like... He was crying? Yeah. Definitely. I'm sh- confident that he that he was welling up in this scene. And he wipes away tears as he gets up. Okay, I did not catch that. <laughs> I, well, I think so. Listeners, please give feedback. Um, I really think, I think Dolores is created in the image of someone. Um, mm, that's an interesting and thought. Like, yeah. Like whether it's like, was there a love triangle there? Was it that Arnold and Ford both love someone and was taken away too soon and Dolores was built in her image to keep her around. And that's when they both realized or Arnold realized how problematic that would be and how keeping her imprisoned as a host is a problem and Ford didn't. I don't know. I just feel like there's something. Yeah, there's something there. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't really know. I feel like there's so much to unpack in this conversation and yet nowhere for me to really go with it. Um, Yeah. So... Obviously, Dolores is not telling Ford everything. We know that. Yeah. Because she tells Arnold the right voice the in end. her head that yep. she didn't tell him anything. Um, so. And she's got enough programming or wherewithal to ignore that analysis line when we've seen her have to truthfully respond to that analysis every other time. Mm-hmm. Like. And when we, Bernard is asking it, she gives her whole feedback. We know from the last episode that the Arnold programming essentially overrides more recent updates in programming, right? So right. I would imagine that when Ford is asking her that question, that there is probably an Arnold voice in her head that's saying, don't tell him. Right. Tell him 34 years ago. Yeah. And we're just not seeing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So I think for sure that um, Dolores is integral to the story of Arnold's death. And um, we know from Ford whether or not his storytelling is accurate, but we know that the suicide story is not true. So, you know, Logan knows the rumor of the partner and he committed suicide in the park and what have you. But it was not a suicide. So that makes, it does make me think that Arnold was potentially killed by a host. Do you think Arnold was killed by Dolores? Was he killed by Ford? I maybe. honestly have no idea. Like, I really... Yeah, or maybe... Like, she was getting... <laughs> I know, right? Like, this I is... Know. The... <laughs> just... I feel like we're just going to have to move on from this scene because we have this no answers. This is just question marks. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we can yeah. just... We, I think I need about five more episodes of this show, and then I right. will be able to hopefully give you some sort of better idea. I feel like what we're doing at this point is we're just like... Could it be this question mark? Here are more words. And so they say question this mark. to them. Question mark, question mark. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay. Moving forward. Moving on. Um. So Felix, who is the butcher with the pet bird, um, he, so he's trying to animate it again. This gadget. Um, Sorry, he's trying to animate it for the first time. Um, This gadget that he had hidden away, it's that behavior tablet. Uh, So Sylvester comes back in from break and he is pissed. So Mm -hmm. he accuses Felix of stealing the bird and the tablet in order to try to get himself a promotion. Like he's trying to teach himself how to be a coder. Um, But Sylvester says he is a butcher and that's all he'll ever be. So I think that this speaks to the hierarchy of the various departments within the the company, right? We've seen the interactions between some of the departments before. Um, Basically we've seen them between behavior and storyline or um, quality assurance. And what did they call the behavior department? Oh, anyway, it doesn't matter. I don't remember. Yeah. But those two, they seem to sort of be, um, battling it out on relatively equal footing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely speaks to the fact that the the butchers are low on the totem pole, I think. Um, uh, and a pretty horrendous-seeming job, so, yeah. Yes. Um, and they're called butchers, so... Yeah, I know. <laughs> and they look like, like human murderer people. Yes. <laughs> um, so... Sylvester tells Felix to destroy the bird and the tablet before he gets fired for misappropriation of corporate property and then tells him to get back to work because they have another body and it is Maeve again. (laughs) And Felix in particular is like freaked out by this, I think. Um, Yeah. You know, he seems freaked out by it. I mean, has has Maeve been back in rotation for even a single day? No. Like Sylvester's just just gone on break and come back. Yeah. Yeah. They like put her back so in just... and she's she's like back to them an hour later. Yeah. Sylvester's an idiot is all I can say cuz like Felix is absolutely right to be concerned about this as we know. And yeah. I mean, I feel like it probably should be flagged in a couple places that Maeve has suddenly died about a like three or four times higher rate than she normally does in the typical storylines. Wait. But... 
is Maeve killing herself? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Like, so she's, because she's so aware and she's, it's almost like she even knows to get herself on her own with Felix. Right. You know, like she realizes Sylvester is a problem. Felix is, she reads, I mean, this is a character who's, what her intuitiveness is like really, really high when they talked about the skill set they gave her or whatever, right? Right. Um, so because she, they like, jacked it up well. after. That's right. Um, after she wasn't getting good responses from the um, guests, they yeah. really jacked up her intuitiveness. Exactly. And so she like reads Felix like a book. And I mean, it's probably, yeah, there's a, there's something big happening there, I think. So do you think that she is um, uh, like conscious on the table as they're doing this work on her, like conscious, but not able to feel anything and listening to what they're saying. Yeah, I do. And, and you keep, he keeps getting freaked out by noises and Mm -hmm. I'm sure those are her. Like, I, I I think he is right to be as jumpy as he is. And, you know, she calls him by name when she wakes up at the end of the episode. So she is definitely picking up on the information that they are, that's right. Ta- or you know, talking she went and looked on IMDb. One of the two options. <laughs> One of the two things. That's how I did it. <laughs> um, so without spoiling, can I say this? It was on the preview for the next episode. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we both, yes, agreed. So if you have not watched the previews, then uh, yeah. All I, I will say, which I think even if I hadn't seen it on the preview for the next episode, I think that it is probably a pretty... Um, clear link between the fact that Felix now has a behavior tablet. Agreed. And a very aware host in front of him. Yes. So I think there's going to be something going on between those two. Antics will ensue. That's right. Exactly. Actually, the preview was nuts though. Like, oh my God. Of like things to come in the second half of the season. I was like, oh my God. I didn't even see the whole thing. I just saw, I did see this clip with, um, with Maeve, but I don't even remember anything else that, like I only saw a few seconds of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's not very long, but it was the one that played at the very end of the episode when they're like coming up. I will have Westworld. to rewatch that for sure. Yeah. I was just like, oh my God. So anyway, um okay so we are back in the town and this is when we talked about the fact that it was overnight before we meet lawrence this is what i mean so the last time we saw dolores was when she kind of came out of that parade for the day of the dead thing it's now the next day um he asks dolores if she's better because she seemed out of it um she said that she had troubled dreams but she's better now uh so they go and they meet el lazo and what do you know it's lawrence it's Lawrence. Um, Lawrence. <laughs> so good to see you, Lawrence. They, uh, Logan kind of negotiates his way in. They want to meet the Confederales. And Alazo kind of, you know, we've learned enough about the game, I think, at this point, that you kind of see how this happens, right? Like, some players may have been totally fine with Alazo's offer about, like, the brothel. But Logan's like, nope, I want to move forward. So, um,. Elaza says he'll sweeten the pot by killing them quickly. And then we have more of Dolores's flashbacks and she's in like with the town with the white church. And that prompts her to speak up 
as like the host to another host. And she says, there's something you're seeking. I know what that feels like. Um, yeah. If, if it let them, they'll help him. So, so I feel like there was an abrupt change in her demeanor. Her, in, yeah. Yes. And then after she speaks to Lawrence and he dismisses her, she seems to almost come out of a trance. So, like, right. I don't really think that it was Dolores speaking to Lawrence as, like, host to host. I think that it was Dolores, the host who has, um, you know, board- Arnold. Yes, who has Arnold speaking to a host who does not. So, right. uh, yeah, so she was trying to appeal to him and that they have common goals. She understands him and maybe we can help each other. And then he did not respond in a way that made me think that he really knew what she was getting to. He just kind of went back to the narrative. But it does move them forward to get into this deal right like that's the last thing that happens before he's like okay well can you go get this nitro i need that's true that is true um because before that he's like well i'll just kill you faster right and then yeah she interrupted so i don't know i know i totally see what you mean um i think you're right that yeah like the trance she's in is she's being talked to so maybe it's even that arnold just knows what to say to move this piece of the storyline forward and be able to, you know, um, get them where they need to go, which is this is how they're going to end up on the front, right? Is that they have these explosives and they're going to screw it over the confederales. So, um, and- I'm sorry, this is such a stupid question, I'm sure. But, like... No, no. So, is is the thing that she's saying to Lawrence, there's something that you're seeking, just the nitro? Because I was thinking that she was talking about something bigger. I think I think it's both. I think you're right. Lawrence is not a guy that has Arnold in his head. He's very much just a character that we've seen a lot, even with the men in black. But she is saying, I know what that feels like. I think that's bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you let him, we can help you. And then I think it is the like, I think we've seen this a few times where these quests turn into these really huge things, right? Because even same as the men in black, you know, having to go break out um, Hector from jail. It's like, that's kind of a lame little, you know, plot line, but it is essential to opening up the next phase of the maze Mm -hmm. for him if he knows what to ask for. So in this case, it's like, she just needs to get the nitro onto that train because the train is going to the front and that is what's going to get them to the maze. Gotcha. Yeah. But you have to get that little piece of the, the next part of the story done in order to get that moving. Okay. I'm with you. That makes That's sense to me for sure. Uh, so really this is just about setting up the fact that they are going to rob a stagecoach in a very Western style. <laughs> um, and Dolores gets a change of outfit, which was very exciting. Yes. Pants. And also, um, just logistically, uh, very helpful when Dolores is talking to herself so that we know which is the apparition Dolores and which is our Dolores that we're following. Exactly. New outfit, dual purposes. Yeah. Agreed. So, Yes. That is, and cowboy hat. And cowboy Brown. hat, for sure. Partway between white and black. <laughs> hmm. um, 
So we uh, we see the union wagon, which is en route. Uh, Logan, William, Dolores, and Slim are getting ready to ambush it. We do get the debut of Dolores's new outfit. Uh, she looks she looks great. She looks um, really natural in this uh, like cowgirl getup. Agree. And um, she seems really comfortable with her gun. I I feel like there are several flashes throughout this episode where we're seeing a taste of a different Dolores. One of yes. them is the one that we just talked about where she is appealing to Lawrence with the, you know, I'm seeking something too. Another is her demeanor in this scene, in my opinion. Not when they're actually robbing the stagecoach and she's appealing to the off, um, soldiers to give up their guns because she doesn't want to kill anyone. I feel like that's pretty in line with the Dolores that we know. But as she's right. walking up this hill towards these guys and checking her pistol and whatever, that that feels to me like... Uh, a really capable, confident, deadly Dolores that we're seeing a little bit more of throughout the end of the episode. Agreed. Yeah, I know. Uh, you're seeing her fight the damsel programming with like who she really is kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so she she does tell uh, the, her cohorts that she doesn't plan to use the gun because those men are Union soldiers just like her father. And William assures her that they won't hurt them. They're just going to take the nitro and go. Um, it does not work out that way. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are you thinking? You're robbing a stagecoach with guns of highly dangerous explosives. Yeah, you and can't you think guarantee just that, gonna... William. Yeah, but I feel yeah. like it's very earnest. Like I do think that he truly Agreed. believes it. Oh, I agree. Um, yeah, yeah. And then for sure. this is a really interesting scene for William because, of course, they do try to um, have things uh, end without bloodshed, but that's not the way that it goes. Thanks to Logan, the douche, who uh, starts beating on one of the soldiers after they've already surrendered their weapons. So yeah. the soldiers fight back. One of them kills Slim. Another is about to kill Dolores. And William, in, in order to save Dolores, kills all of the soldiers except one. It's the one who's fighting Logan. So it's before he actually shoots that soldier in the back that I see there's this change in William's face. Yes, um, agreed. He shoots all of those soldiers and then there's this moment where he seems to kind of take in what he's just done yeah and also maybe take in the fact that there are no repercussions for what he's just done yeah and and then without any hesitation shoots this um last soldier in the back yeah um so i think that's Um, a changing point for william somewhat I, this was the first place where I was like, if he is the men in black, that's where I saw it. Yeah. You know, uh, it is the free. You're right. He's completely calm, cool and collected. He really doesn't flinch before he shoots that guy in the back um, who's completely unarmed. And. Yeah, I think it's, you know, you get why he's killing the guy with the Dolores, but he, they, he doesn't even try to kind of think it through. He just acts. And right. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that and the other thing too is, oh sorry, sorry. I was just I was just gonna say I think that that is, um, you know, also an indication of the fact that he is becoming more at ease with the fact that these things are not people, 
despite the fact that he has, has is becoming more and more drawn to Dolores and I think having a harder time seeing her as not a person. Does that make sense? Yeah. The only thing, other thing I was thinking, though, is kind of the opposite side of that, which is that this deep into the park, shit feels a lot more real. That is um, true. Like, Logan is being legit choked. Yes. Like, you know, and he's kind of like, I think he says something like, please, or something right before William does shoot him. Like, it's like, he's kind of like, wow, I can't believe. And then, of course, at the end, too, I don't know what's going to happen to him after William left him. Right. Um. But it does feel the hosts are know. definitely fighting back at a level that we haven't seen in the t- right. in the tamer areas areas of the park for sure. I completely That's agree right. with you. It does feel like there is more danger. It does feel more legit. Um, and at the same time, I just think that William, the longer he is in the park, the more he is kind of buying into the gameness of it. Yeah, um, yeah, which is what I mean by the fact that like he seems to be coming to terms with the fact that these things aren't real and he doesn't have to treat them with humanity. Um, I don't yeah. I don't think that he is changing who he is as a person. He's still a decent person, which we're seeing, of course, in the last in the later part of the episode when he doesn't want to uh, go with the Confederale soldiers to essentially blow up. Uh, innocent people with nitro. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, I just think that this was a moment where William didn't, uh, he kind of did what he wanted to do instead of what he thought was the right thing to do. Agreed. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Yeah, for sure. Um, So Logan is super pumped about the whole thing. He's really proud of William for finally getting into it. Um, Dolores, of course, is is not jazzed about the fact that um, they just killed all these Union soldiers that they told they would let live. Um, and then they just head back to town. They've got the nitro. They've got the um, wagon and Slim's body is in the back. Uh, so they deliver it to Lawrence, who tells the Confederales that, um, you know, they've got the nitro. He's paid handsomely for it. And then when the captain of the Confederales tells his group that they should load up and get going, uh, Lawrence uh, offers him a night at the brothel uh, brothel before they hit the road the next day, which is obviously a ploy to fuck our group over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I liked the second time watching this, knowing that that was coming and watching a little bit closer you know, you see the Confederales leader, the captain guy, say we're going to go blow up a bunch of cactus eaters. And he makes a reference later about, like, about Lawrence being brown. Yeah. Um. So you see the racism more and you see Lawrence's, like, revolutionary leanings. Like, there's some, like, shifty eyes and some clenched jaws that kind of give you a heads up, too, that it's not going to go down the way um, you think. And he's not just some mercenary out there you know, doing whatever. And I think William is one who said that. He's like, why would he use, you know, arm the Confederales to go blow them all, all the people up south of the border? And it's like, yeah, exactly. Good point. He won't. So, um, yeah, but I really like Lawrence's character, you know, like he's kind of a, a, a good guy buried underneath all of that. But anyway. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I really like Lawrence's character as well. I will say that I do have a hard time buying him as the biggest bad in the park. 
Um, but obviously, I think that that is probably at least somewhat deliberate because we. Just, I agree. Yeah, we just had him next to the man in black who is legitimately the biggest bad in that park. So having that. Well, and I think comparison... too, it's like, <clears throat> like even the fact that the end where it's like you can now call me Lawrence. It's like you go from this super badass seeming name to Lawrence. Yeah. I mean, it's just. Like, such a dramatic shift, and it's like, as soon as you, if you can get past the test that makes him seem like a big bad, then he goes back to this guy that is the one we knew, actually, originally, through the Man in Black. Right. Which may be later in time, yeah. And the Man in Black, I mean, he says to Ford in the later scene, where he's He's like, I always felt like there was a lack of a true villain in the park, and so that's that's what I am. Although, um, until recently, we didn't have Wyatt, who seems fucking terrifying, that's right. Uh, but, yeah. but yeah, I mean, like, if the big bads in the park before Wyatt were Lawrence and Hector, I mean, not terrifying villains, yes. those two. Well, not terrifying to us, helpfully watching. Like, I mean, I think from the comfort like, of my couch, I'm not terrified. Is. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so we are with Elsie then in the lab, and she is just doing some, like, calibrating work with Bart. A lot of penises in this episode, for sure. It's a whole lot this of was... Bart showing in this scene. There is. Uh, so she, he, he can't pour in the glass. So it's just kind of like a, um, you know, a bit of a quick scene where she's like, oh, we're going to have to reassign you where your talents will go. Your talents will go terribly unappreciated. Right. Um, but, um, she you sees... know, kudos HBO for being, um, you know, liberal in both the male and female agreed it's not one-sided on hbo yeah (laughs) exactly this is what you're paying for hbo for right 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 here is just this like smorgasbord of parts everywhere um but at that time the butcher is dragged like brought by by the sorry not the butcher that woodcutter is brought by by butchers um and his head still smashed in and body are separated yes so she is immediately intrigued because she has never had a chance to really examine him despite yeah cullen shut that down that's right um can i just Um, say like on a really quick quick side note before i forget i found it interesting that in the opening credits the actress who plays cullen and the um actor who plays Stubbs um, were not on the opening credits this week. Uh, Interesting. I do think that they must switch the credits week switch by them. week depending on who is in the episode. Um, b- right. Because I did watch last week's and um, both Stubbs and Cullen and also the actress who played Armistice, the snake lady. Right. Uh, they were all in the opening credits. But when I first saw it, I was like, holy shit, like, were they not regulars like um oh you missed the one where Stubbs died yeah that's too bad <laughs> like no not the Hemsworth <laughs> that's right uh, um yes because of course they're not in this episode at all so right. there's very few behind the scene things in this episode yeah um so she wants to obviously get her chance to examine that guy and he's about to go be incinerated. Um, so she goes and black, blackmails one of the butchers, a different one. Uh, of course, we get Sylvester and Felix freaking out because they think she's caught on to them, but she hasn't. She goes into a different room um, where Destin is there uh, and she has helpfully, she has video footage of him 
having sex with a host on the floor of like the shop, which is really pleasant. Um, and this is another place where Destin is also like, I can't lose this job. Kind of talking about the hierarchies earlier, mm-hmm. you know, like he's super panicked that he might lose this job. Um, and he has, he doesn't want to like let her examine the woodcutter, but he's kind of out of options, I guess, at this point. Right. Um, and so she goes and examines the woodcutter more. So she kind of, she turns them over. This is what you were talking about too. Like what, what is in them that makes them different? She scans something on like his spinal cord that gives her all of the readings. Like there's like a thing that appears. Yeah. Um, and then she's examining his body more. And this is where we see the little tiny thing sticking out of like the lower part of his palm. And she pulls that back and she sees this little like red eye kind of thing. And, it's like a wire that goes up the host's arm that's kind of lighting up. And then it goes to a scene where she's with Bernard and she's like, we have a problem. Yeah. Uh, and she has this like bloody, really large satellite uplink is how she describes it. And she says that um, the woodcutter wasn't drawing Orion's belt. He was drawing a target and someone's been using hosts to smuggle data out of the park. So I did not understand the target piece. Me either at all. Yeah. I was um, like, what does that mean? I don't know. I have no idea. I do wonder, do you think that it is simply a coincidence that Cullen and Stubbs shut down the um, investigation by Elsie right. and Bernard's team? Um, and that because her team is, they're not coders, that they just simply missed this? I think that's unlikely. Yeah, that's I think a really there has point. to be there has to be some kind of deliberate deliberate um, attempt to prevent Elsie and team from discovering this. I'm going in, right? And I also like I and then I d- why say? Uh, granted, his head is smashed in, and he doesn't have it attached to his body anymore <laughs> but like other other decommissioned hosts get put into cold storage yes, but not this destroyed. one is being incinerated yeah no that's fair i thought um i tweeted are you sure basically you want to bring this to bernard because that was my other thought um i know isn't there someone else she can go to because yeah. like you keep going to this shitting guy the bed on exactly. every time and, yeah. like, can you really trust him? And then the other thing I was thinking, just looking at it, is that it seemed like really bulky technology, um, given this is a world that, like, creates humans with, like, machines. I mean, it's unbelievable. And it's this, like, big end to it and, like, very noticeable. Um, I don't know. That just, like, stuck out to me that it wasn't this little, like, tiny microchip that's sending data. Mm-hmm. It's, like, this big older school seeming piece of technology interesting i have no answers but those were my thoughts after seeing this scene and so who do we is there any one or anything that has been introduced at this point that would benefit from having data from inside the park like would the board would the board want information of the goings-on inside the park that they wouldn't have access to or is this like really legacy from a long time ago? Like I, cause you get that flashback of Dolores thinking it's in her arm and like the recall of her pulling it out, which was really gross um, of herself. 
and then she's fine. Like, is this something that's been in this host for a long time? But how would that be possible that they wouldn't have found it? Right. I don't know. I don't know. That's. I don't. Th- I'm. I'm inclined to think that it is not a matter of like old, outdated technology that's been in there for a long time. Well, I guess maybe. And now it's just it's just behaving this yeah, way it's now. Yeah, wonky. I don't know because don't know of the Arnold programming. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just like so confused. But I do think. I mean, the one thing I think it helps with is why he destroyed himself. Like smashing his head in with a rock, and maybe like, you know, there's like something that's programmed in to him because he had this thing. To try, and maybe it's not that Cullen or Stubbs are in on it, but it's like if you behave that kind of erratic behavior, you're going to be destroyed rather than kept because it's like so aberrant that it's problematic. And like they would know that protocol and they'd be like, okay, if you get yourself close to being caught, then you know, smash your head in with a rock and you'll be destroyed or something. That's probably oversimplified, but I think that those two things are related. Yeah, like I think that 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 could be. Um, Who knows? Yeah. Okay, so more on this one. I have no idea. Let's move on to the orgy. Okay, orgy it is. <laughs> um, so at the brothel, things are getting a little out of control. It's Basically, like ancient Roman is Caligula. Yeah, having sex everywhere. <laughs> um, there's lots of lot of body paint also. Um, yes, lots of so- gold. Yeah, William and Dolores do not look like they fit in here. <laughs> um, I, I tweeted that out. I was like, I can't imagine two more awkward seeming people. They <laughs> like, like are so awkward on that sitting couch. Sitting on the couch. <laughs> yeah. Logan is loving it, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, Lawrence comes over and offers the captain more to drink. So now that we know what's happening in retrospect, you know that like he's getting the captain drunk probably and keeping him occupied so that he can switch out the nitro for the tequila um so the captain offers to recruit logan and william to you know to his his cause in the war and logan's all for it like he's that's exactly what he wants to do he wants to games um so this is where william pulls aside and he's like there's no way that i'm gonna go and you know fight with these psychos and uh and logan is like what is the big deal just kill them then as soon as you get to the front and join the other side like i don't see what the problem is but william is he's done um he's not doing it so this is what incites this really um big falling out that has really kind of been bubbling under the surface since we met them um so Logan is pissed. He thinks that William is now like overcompensating for the guilt that he's felt over killing an unarmed man, uh, who of course is a host and, uh, that there's no heroes in villains and everything is just a circle jerk. Um, and William says that he thinks that says a lot more about Logan than it does about anything going on in the park. So, yeah. And then Logan gets real. Um, so he says that the only reason why William's even on the trip is because he picked him because he would never be a threat to Logan and that Logan's sister probably picked him for the exact same reason. 
Um, and although William says that he earned his place, Logan really belittles him. He's like, oh, yeah, you worked hard and you followed all the rules. And now you've reached the pinnacle of your whole life, which is essentially a middle management position. He's executive vice president, which sounds, you know, pretty. Um, I wish that was. I know. Exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> I would be fine with that. Thank you, Logan. Um, but yeah, so he belittles that. And um, I don't know, just essentially uh, calls William out for for that day, the day that he got those three initials EVP as being the best day of his life, the best it's ever going to get for him. And so William loses it and he throws Logan up against the wall. And then do you think that he backs off um, because of who Logan is to him? Or because he is a good person who didn't want to get in a physical altercation. Yeah, I think, I mean, um, I think Logan knows exactly what to say to get under William's skin here. Because William says, I worked hard for that. I earned it. And Logan just throws that all to shit. He even says that, you know, this is why my sister likes you. And then I felt like it was a realization that he's got his boss up against a wall in a chokehold that made him back off like that was my first impression it was like you you know everything kind of got real again for a second and you're like shit at the end of the day <laughs> this is still yes. you know um yeah. yeah i agree and uh it comes up in a future scene when logan is being beat up by the confederales and william yes. is running off with dolores and choosing to leave him behind that william says no more pretending Um, so yeah, I think that William has been playing the good employee and tolerating this intolerable guy because he has had to for, uh, work reasons, whatever. And so I think that in this scene, you're right, he's backing off probably because he's his boss in a chokehold. And then in the later scene, essentially he's thinking, fuck it. I just don't care. No more pretending with this guy. He deserves to get beat up. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so from there, uh, Dolores has left when the guys were fighting, and she is wandering through the halls where there's just a lot more kinky sex happening everywhere she turns, uh, and she's more, it seems like, kind of trying to get away from that, and so she goes into a room where there's not an orgy happening, Mm -hmm. and there is, like, a tarot card reader at the table and she picks a card, puts it down. It's the maze, the same drawing kind of we've, we've been seeing recurring now for a couple of episodes. Uh, she asks what it means. And then she gets like a visible fright when she looks up. And now the card reader is not the card reader. It's now just her, but in her dress. Right. So like, just like you said, we're getting the indicator between the outfits here as to which Dolores is which. Yeah. Um, and the old dress Dolores card reader Dolores says you must follow the maze um pants Dolores says what's wrong with her um and dress Dolores says perhaps you're unraveling and this is where we get the scene so she notices like something picking out of her wrist and pulls on it and there's like I felt like it looked like that same wire that they just pulled out of the stone cutter um and it's like coming right out of her like forearm just like it did out of him is that what you thought it was too or do you think it's something else no 
I didn't think that it was that at all. Although I do think that it's interesting that it looked very similar in terms of placement. Um, but I literally thought that this was, again, just more um, kind of metaphor for what's going on in her own brain. Like this apparition of herself is suggesting that she's unraveling and then she is literally unraveling a piece of thread that's pulling her skin apart. And I think that that is, I don't know, just like a manifestation of her realizing that there is something wrong, that things are not as they seem, that, um, that like she is not what she thinks she is. Do you know what I mean? Interesting. Maybe I just took that more symbolically than they intended it, but I really didn't think that it was the same kind of device. Because then she, and then she looks back and it's gone. There's no wound. There isn't anything there. I mean, it was definitely something that, well, if it was either just this sort of vision as I took it or a memory, has she found this in her arm previously? Yeah. Crazy. I, I mean, I guess I just, so I assume they're related just because we just got a scene where, and they look exactly the same, the same little like picky out thing that Elsie notices to me looks exactly like what Dolores picks out of her own hand that leads to like something going exactly the same way up her forearm in the exact same place. Yeah. I could definitely, um, I mean, I could be very wrong and not putting the pieces together because you're right that there's a lot of similarity there. That's hard to argue. Yeah. Interesting. But you're right, it is gone, and so then it's the question of, like, is that a memory that she's had from a long, long time ago? Was she able to just pull that out of her arm like that? I mean, it does seem kind of crazy, but um, uh, anyway, she looks back down, and it's not like that. She's holding her arm, runs out, and then runs outside to kind of get away, and that's when she notices Lawrence's team, and they are taking the nitro out of the bottles, putting it into Slim's body, and replacing the nitro bottles with tequila, um, which is going to be a problem. And she recognizes that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so she runs back to William to warn him that Lawrence has been conning them all along. They need to run because, of course... Uh, Lawrence is not going to be the one taking the heat about the swapped out nitro. That's right. It's the guys who provided it to them, which of course is William and Logan. So William seems to be um, just done with the whole park after his confrontation with Logan. So, so you know, Dolores is imploring him to run because they're, you know, they're going to be killed by the confederales if they don't and william's just like yeah well that's what they do they create this sense of danger they create a sense of ur- urgency until everyone yeah. is just acting primal and animalistic and he's done with it he doesn't want to have any part of this sick game anymore um and dolores you know to dolores of course it isn't a game um so she is really um emotional when she's saying it isn't a game. They they will kill them, but she knows that together they can find a way out. And um, he asks her how how she knows this. And she says, there's a voice in my head that's telling her what to do. And it's telling her that she needs him. And then they kiss passionately. 
I was yeah like I'm not gonna lie like I I was not at all unhappy to see this well I I have very like definite feelings about what I think Logan's sister is like at this point <laughs> like I do not like her so I am not sad about that and yeah and I agree and I, I think too that Dolores saying it isn't a game it both is her not recognizing that they're not the stakes are not quite as high and yet at the same point whatever Arnold has hidden in this maze perhaps having like dramatic consequences yeah. for everybody involved for you sure know? so she is like having both kind of sides of it um i yes i mean just to just to clarify that obviously i love teddy and dolores together i'm really back on the kissing here <laughs> okay i'm just saying i'm not mad at the fact that um D- like dolores and um william really seem to need each other right now and and i loved this scene where they are now this team um and we're yes. seeing that more in the next episode or sorry in the next scenes where they're running away from the confederales and Dolores is like a full blown badass at that point and whatever. I loved seeing this change in their dynamic from it being her as, uh, I don't know, not just damsel, but almost, uh, like tag along afterthought. I mean, she really didn't have any, yes. uh, real action to um to play in this storyline that they were living out together she was just there uh and it went from that to her having real relevance in this adventure that she and william are going on and i think that this was the this was the start of it so yeah um, i agree yeah yeah it's not as if i'm like uh james marson is dead to us now no i mean yeah yeah, don't get me wrong still love teddy uh (laughs) And I'm not I'm not truly thinking that this is a real and genuine relationship that is playing out between Dolores and William. I don't I don't think that it I think that it is as much as it can be between. Yeah, I think it's definitely where Dolores is right now. It's also probably, uh, it, you know, the most real host guest relationship that's probably ever existed. Maybe outside Agreed. of if Dolores is, in fact, created in the memory of somebody and then there's that but like yeah it's they're they're not usually this substantial so that will probably have impact yeah um so then continuing that scene the confederales are playing catch with a bottle of nitro always a good idea Terrible uh, life if, <laughs> that's right it drops and that's when they realize it is not in fact nitro um so logan is cornered by the confederales and they are really beating him up substantially um william and dolores run outside and they do not save logan um or i guess william specifically doesn't save logan dolores points out that it's he's there and that's where he says exactly like you said no more pretending and then there i there was like a hint of a smile then William abandons him. Like, it's like Logan is so, uh, Logan is so, um, like bent on corrupting William. Yeah. I think that there was definitely almost this proud moment where he's kind of like happy with William's decision to leave him to be beaten, um, rather than save him. 
And it... So in some Did ways, I almost eat... think Logan has a more realistic view of what they're in right now. Like, or, like in some ways. Like, Logan's like, okay, I might get, you know, some bruises or some whatever, but they're not going to be able to kill me because they can't. I've been right. here a lot. And so his... He recognizes that the stakes are not that high. Exactly. But William is acting as if they are. And in the heat of it, he's like, fuck it to my boss to, you know go and take the damsel and do whatever in his from his perspective kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's definitely it, – it's really interesting. Um, um, can I pause for another quick moment to – I'm going to uh, diverge a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But, but um, it just occurred to me that, like, Logan is 100% William's boss. That has been made abundantly clear, right? Mm-hmm. So oh, well, I think so, yeah. The, the man in black, he he's the head of this foundation or whatever in the future. So if yes. the man in black is William, then William seems to either have taken over Logan's company or like family company or has developed a, a company of his own that is so successful that... You know, he has, like, made this fame and fortune in his own right. Yeah. So I wonder, in my mind, this is how this plays out right now, is that William completely changes leaving the park, becomes much more ruthless, like exactly what Logan is, you know, accusing him of being, um, perhaps overthrows. I feel like it's Logan's family who owns that company. Um mm-hmm somehow overthrows that and takes over ownership. They buy part of Westworld or they buy out Westworld. Uh, and so they run the board. They turn it into a profit-making enterprise, unlike what it had been before that, which would make him mm-hmm. an immensely wealthy man. And he then, to assuage some of the guilt associated with running an enterprise that's just about raping and killing, which is basically what it seems to have been for the past 30 years, he starts some kind of foundation um, and that's where he puts all the money and he basically just lives in the park trying to like solve the maze slash possibly end Westworld as we know it while profiting immensely off of it, but moving all of that profit into some sort of foundation that does good. This is very flushed out theory. <laughs> I don't know. I just I like, feel I was, like that sounds yeah. very plausible. And then the man in black is the mysterious board member. Right. I agree. I he- I think the fact that that it was said to Ford in the last episode by Colin, I'm surprised you didn't know the board member was here. And the next next episode, Ford goes and finds him that those are the indicator that he is the board member. Yes. And because in that scene, I know we haven't gotten to it yet, but in that scene when Ford and the man in black are talking at the saloon and the man in black is like saying he says at one point this place almost went under and it wouldn't have if it and it would have if it weren't for me. Right. So yes. Yeah, I think that something, I mean, at first I was like did Logan die in the park and does something crazy happen but I'm like it can't really because there's been no mention of that. And I think it's more likely that William becomes a completely ruthless business person after this. 
Yeah, I think over. that that could really be. And so Logan is saying to William, the reason why you're here is because you're, you'll never you're be a threat to me. Yeah. You are not threatening. And then William leaves this experience just guns blazing and tears him down. That's right. <gasps> I think, yeah. Oh, could be on to something. Man. Okay. Sorry. Where were we? Uh, we're just at the end of the Confederale scene. So really just quick, because I think we've talked about this, is that they get cornered themselves and William gets into trouble and Dolores just shoots the place up and... Like impossibly is, fast. Exactly. Just like huge six-shooter pistol thing takes everybody out. William is like, Dolores? <laughs> he like... Yeah, he's like really tentative when he's approaching her because... She is like a different person in yeah. this scene. And it's so different from how she has been. Um, and she says that he asks her how she did that. And she talks back about the fact that, you know, William was talking about being a different person. She kind of um, imagined a world where she didn't have to be the damsel, uh, which I just absolutely love that one. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So here's my question. Is this a past narrative, a past personality um, that is emerging in the same way that we have seen, you know, with uh, the former father host, the Peter Abernathy host, had his former um, character bleed into his current one. So is that what we're seeing here? Or is this a truly new character well, but if you believe this is in the past for herself if you believe this is in the past then it could be the first time and now she's calling back on that character in the present what <laughs> like okay, if she's remembering so... that this this hypothetically is 30 years ago so like how would it be her calling on an even earlier character it's like pretty early on in Dolores's existence, five years in or so, mm-hmm. then is this the like actual yeah. creation of that character? It then somehow gets, she goes back into her loop for 25 years or whatever. And now as we're seeing her retrace her steps, she's finding that again. Question mark. Maybe. You think she's remembering this from before? I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like there's so much reference to Arnold being in her head that this is stuff she's learning new. Okay, fair enough. But maybe not. You know what just occurred to me? This is entirely logistical, but um, in the last scene when she is riding in the train by herself, she's like, in these scenes, she's still in her new, like, pants and kerchief, like, outfit. So fast forward 30 right. years that not only is she retracing her steps, but she's changing her outfit. The same way. Like she's the, in the, at the same times. Yeah. Well, is that just how the storyline plays? I have no idea. Good point. For sure. Okay. I keep getting um, us back off track. I'm sorry. No, no. Um. Yeah, but anyway, she's like a totally different person in this moment when she kills up everybody. <laughs> um, 
And so then a train whistles. She grabs William's hand. So again, I'm just loving how like she's taking the lead now. Yes. She's the one driving. Yeah, the, she says uh, we have to get on that train forward. to get out right. of here. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, so they run and jump on the back of the train, but it is not empty. Lawrence is already in there uh, with the caskets of nitro-filled bodies. Um, so they're at a bit of a standoff where they're pointing guns at each other, and then Dolores points her gun at the casket, which finally prompts Lawrence to put his gun away. And um, and then everything is kind of congenial, and Lawrence tells them to call him Lawrence and offers them some whiskey, and he and William sit down for the journey. They're on their way to the front. Um, meanwhile, Dolores is standing at the casket and sees that there is a picture of the maze on the top of the casket. And as the shot is sort of panning out, it, it kind of does a 360, and then we're back to where Lawrence and... Um, William were just sitting and the the car is now empty and Dolores is in there with the caskets by herself. Yep. Yep. What the so that happened? Um, um yeah, I don't know. Yeah. like moving on (laughs) at the end i think we have already talked we have already talked as much as we are able to talk about our theories about this yeah about why they might not be in the car at this agreed so then we get our kind of this is a great scene um having these two characters meet was just like such a big payoff i mean this episode just brought it from the start to the very very end um so the man in black and teddy come into the saloon Teddy's not looking great. They met Man in Black mentions Lawrence's donation is running low. Um, you get a call back to the Claire de Lune, which was played earlier on guitar. The music again in this episode being fantastic. And yeah. um, it's you kind of immediately know it's Ford. So he brings over, you know, three glasses and a bottle of whiskey and he sits down and it's clear right away that the man in black knows exactly who he is, which is not surprising if he's been coming for 30 years. But um, the man in black says to Teddy, do you know who this is? And he says, anything good or and everything bad that's ever happened in your life is because of this guy. And Ford says, how are you doing on your quest? Are you any closer to finding what you're looking for? Um, and... Like, the man in black is like, what is that? I think I've tweeted at this point. I'm like, exactly. I'm like, what are we talking about here? Like, who yeah. who is looking for what? Um, and Teddy jumps in and says they're looking for Wyatt, who took Dolores. I know, which I was like, I was like, shut up, Teddy. I know. Just let the man answer the question. <laughs> That's right. We want a conversation <laughs> between the guests here. Uh, and Teddy is still, like, full character. Is like, is a man named Wyatt. And yeah. He's... <laughs> Yeah. He's taken he's taken a rancher's daughter and I was like, Fuck, Teddy. Um and Ford immediately catches that of course that's not his full storyline and the man in black's like, Yeah, it changed a little bit. Uh and this is where Man in Black says, I always felt the park didn't have a real villain, hence my humble contribution. And Ford says, I admit I didn't have the imagination to come up with a character like you. Um But then he says, okay, so he says, though the urgency doesn't fit the character, it betrays a level of anxiety. So I was trying to, I watched the scene a number of times. Um, Is he talking about like the man in black's anxiety and urgency? I took it that way, yes. Yeah. So it's like, 
the fact that the quest has become so important is betraying something about him. Yeah. I mean, yes, I yeah. think so. I think that he's saying that this the this has become an obsession for the man in black and he the the urgency makes me feel like maybe I'm taking this too literally, but is there some kind of time I agree. No, I, that we're I not feel aware like of? I agree. And then the fact that the man in black responds by saying, Well, what's the deal with Wyatt? Um, I think they're both calling each other out on the timing of what's going on in their own ways, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And he says, is this a worthy adversary or is this just another, you know, guy that the tourists will have fun with? And uh, then he mentions finding the center of the maze. So we know that that's out on the table between these two individuals. Um, Mm -hmm. And Ford wonders what the men in black is looking for there. And then the men in black talks to Teddy about what the world is like outside. Um, So yeah, the, the world. So in the captions, it said the world was one of plenty, but I kind of read it as is where everything is taken care of, but there's no purpose. Um, I don't know if that was significant or not. Like, yeah, I assume I mean, it still I... is a giant world of whatever goodness and science solutions to things. I mean, there's even earlier yeah. in one of the earlier episodes, they were like, we can cure any disease and we can do anything. You know, like it seems like it's not like dystopian future. Um, no, agree. Out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um. And so the people go to Westworld so that they can be thrilled and scared and have their lives in danger. And then they go back home with their pictures. But the man in black is there for a deeper meaning um, and something that the person who created it wanted to express. There's something true underneath all of it. And so Ford says, well, why don't you just ask me? And immediately the man in black is like, I'd have to get a shovel and dig up the guy who created it. Um, Yeah. So what do you think of that? So I think that it's clear that Arnold was essentially the creator and architect of this world that we're living in. But he also says that Ford is the reason why everything good and everything bad that has ever happened to Teddy has happened. So uh, while Arnold is sort of the creator, I think that Ford was the mastermind to make this world what it is. Um. I don't know. I honestly, this is going to, this is, this is terrible. I'm reluctant to even say it because this is so not flushed out, but I'm like, there is a part of me that thinks that Ford and Arnold are the same person. Right. Um, You know, where I think that there are some um, hints at the possibility that Ford is not, human or fully human any longer i kind of think that ford it is a host potentially and this is because he sorry this is late in the podcast for me to be throwing out this theory (laughs) (laughs) if you've made it to this point in this podcast and just heard that theory congratulations um yeah so i mean i i this is not fully flushed out at all but there were a couple of things for instance when he says to dolores do you remember the man that i used to be 
um, I don't know. There's a, um, uh, there's there's definitely a sense that the Ford now is not the Ford as a young man. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, when the man in black says, I wonder what I would find if I opened you opened up. Opened you up, yeah. Yeah, there were just some hints that made me think that potentially Ford, um, if, if not entirely host, um, maybe maybe in parts. I mean, like what if Arnold, mm, what if Arnold didn't truly kill himself? But he like, he always preferred the hosts to humans. What if he like made a Ford host? So can I tell you one, this is not my original one, but this is another one that came up a fair bit last night while watching it. Mm hmm. Is that it's Bernard, um, and that Bernard is our is a host. It is a host exactly, and that it's Ford creating Arnold in host form. Um, yeah, and whether that's like intentional what? on Ford's part, yeah. Um, and there's a bunch of re- reasons why that could be true too. <laughs> you could back up with like examples from the past few episodes if you think about it that way too. So that one's okay. Not well, mine, just give but... me a couple. I know that we're running really long, but like, give me a couple of yeah. Do you so know any? the fact that uh, Bernard talks to Dolores in her clothing that she's encouraged, he is encouraging her when they're meeting to not tell anyone about their meetings. That we have said before that the Arnold voice sounds a lot like Bernard, and you can't always tell the difference between it. And you thought it was Bernard at first, and that it wasn't. Um, and then the reason why. When Ford shows Bernard the picture um, of, and this is why Bernard has never heard of Arnold, too, because he's a host. Um, But when Ford shows Bernard the picture, hosts are built to only see what, like, they're supposed to be programmed to see, which is what I mean when you say you can't trust Bernard's perspective. If Bernard really is a host and is programmed, then he may not recognize that, like, what that picture really was of question marks i am taking this in (laughs) (laughs) so this wasn't a great vanity fair article that was shared um last night that i read and uh joanne i can't remember her last name but anyway if if readers want to go see her opinion on this um there's a lot of articles of fan theories that I have not read because I'm worried about how much it would influence me and I think this is the good indicator because now I'm just like Holy shit. What if that's the case? Um, Okay, wait. I just need to, like, fully ingest this theory. So, Bernard is Arnold. And Bernard and Ford were truly partners. Well, it's okay. Sorry. Yeah. So, the, the theory is that Bernard is a host. That's a very apparently common theory amongst people. And then this writer that I was reading last night is her additional piece on top of it is that he's a host and he's built with Arnold's programming or kind of like what you were just getting at in terms of like is Arnold Ford that idea, but Arnold's in Bernard. Um, and so, while being a host, he's also like the living brain or consciousness of Arnold in like host form if ho- Arnold and was does anyone of uh, 
Does anyone other than Ford know that he's a host? So I would say no, based on the interactions that we see. Like, it certainly doesn't seem like Elsie or Cullen realized it. But then I was like, how would you know? Really? Like. Right. They. Yeah. And that the perhaps the conversation, if he looks like what Arnold did, is the Skype call with his wife, is that from like 40 years ago? Again, because you don't know when the hell anything happened. I feel like I need to. I am going to really let this percolate. Yeah. And then when we come back for our next podcast, I will have more thoughts on this. Well, and I'm sure we'll get. Now I feel like the episodes, there was like almost kind of a slower I don't know. It was like two or three was kind of slow. And now that we're at five, I feel like six through 10 are just going to be really intense. Like, I feel like what we'll know at the end of six, just like how much we've learned or at least been shown at the end of five, it's crazy. So it'll be interesting to see what we even we get in the next episode. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, you mentioned that they, he says he's going to take Ford apart. And of course, Teddy, just jumps to life and grabs the knife by the handle to protect Ford. So like, obviously they, he's able to like still leverage the hosts whenever he wants. Um, and I think really the only other thing in this episode is just that at the end, you know, Ford leaves Teddy much more energized. Like I read that as Ford doing that, you know, where he's like, he's not going to stop him. In fact, it's just the opposite. He's wouldn't get him in the way wouldn't get in the way of a voyage of self-discovery. And he basically re-energizes Teddy for him and sends him on his way. So there's something about the fact that he's not remotely trying to stop the journey. Right. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. um, Yeah. So I don't know his motivation for not wanting to um, stop the man in black's uh, progress. On the one hand, I seem like he is almost resigned to the way that things are going to play out. Yeah. Um, And on the other hand, uh, I think that maybe there is a level of uh, overconfidence in how he thinks that it will all come to a head. Right. Uh, And I think overconfidence is a common, probably, problem with Ford who right. is very happy to, you know, sit like go along with his god complex. So and yeah. and I think I think that that overconfidence might be driven by the fact that to your point, I do not think that it's a coincidence that Ford has just now decided to take an interest in the narrative. Right. I think that perhaps he is building this Wyatt narrative for the man in black specifically. I agree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yep, so Teddy is good to go again, <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the final scene we've already touched on a little bit. It's back to Felix, who is um, trying to reanimate that bird using the behavior tablet. And he uh, succeeds, and the bird flies around directly onto Maeve's waiting <laughs> hand, where she is now fully awake and calls Felix by name and says... It's time they had a little chat. Oh, boy. End credits. Yeah. And then it was like, what <laughs> just happened? What the uh, what? What the what? Yeah. So, 
Um, yeah, so anybody, all of our listeners, we do watch them live, and we will definitely be live tweeting again next week because <laughs> this is the one we are watching live. I will give a plug maybe quickly for our Walking Dead podcast, which we are also doing, uh, episode two, having aired on Sunday night. We will be recapping that one as well. Um, again, if you have feedback that you'd like to share on the numerous theories that we have probably butchered throughout this couple of hours, um, kjrecaps.com slash feedback, or please feel free to tweet or leave us a Facebook message, any of those ways. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and share your thoughts. We're all in this together, I think, at this point. That's right. Um, yeah. Uh, Well, whoever is still on, still listening after two plus hours. Thanks for thanks for listening, you guys. Um, That's right. And uh, if you do, uh, if if you would like to leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, we would really appreciate it. It really helps us out um, to uh, to have other listeners find us. So check out our Walking Dead podcast and rate and comment if uh, if you'd like. That'd be great. And Absolutely. we will see everybody next week. Next week. Oh I my guess god. Not see. <laughs> talk at you all. We'll talk at you next okay. week. That's right. Okay. okay Jess, thanks, I'll talk Kim. to you later. Okay, Bye. thanks. Bye.